Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 216 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Did you say 216 because it's like an area code around here as opposed to 216? Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's funny. As I was saying that, I had this moment like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> no, you're right. No, I mean, it's correct, but the phrasing was not right. I, I 100% did it because 216 is the area mm-hmm. code. It's 216. Yeah. Whew. Mm-hmm. We're recording this one right after the intro from the Nancy Pearl episode. Which is why, if you're listening, you're like, wow, is Adam still sick four days later? No. Well, I hope not, anyway. That would be a problem. Yeah. Um, tell everyone what you did today. So, I got to talk to author Nathaniel Philbrick. Um, he, as I sort of say in my intro, he's a man who doesn't really need an introduction. Uh, he's, you know, written historical um, nonfiction books on a variety of of subjects. His most well-known one is, well, not, I want to say the most well-known, but possibly the most well-known is uh, In the Heart of the Sea about um, uh, whaling, and which was made into a movie and all that fun stuff. So um, um, he has a a memoir that he, that came out originally back in the um, 1990s, but is being re-released called Second Wind. It's about um, his sort of sailing career and uh, being a sunfish sailor. He has a really long history of, of sailing, that he goes into a lot um, in in this interview, and so he had written this memoir, and it's now being re released, which is pretty cool. I feel like older aged Adam is going to lean into sailing pretty hard. I feel like I could get behind sailing. I know nothing about sailing, but it just feels like I could be like an island boy. Well, he actually grew up in in Pittsburgh, so I was like, "How did you get yeah. into sailing? You're a little landlocked." So, uh... <laughs> well, he's landlocked, but there's a lot of rivers. There is there. Well, I mean, no, he had he had family he traveled but (laughs) um so yeah so this is yeah nathaniel philbrick i was really excited to interview him he's he's a pretty yeah this was one of those where um he's paying a random house correct i I believe yeah so we get all these wonderful we have a bunch of contacts at paying a random house now and they all send us these pitches for these people and um it's been working out lately like We'll get a lot of these authors who are big deals that have specific days they do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a, almost like a press tour. It but... is exactly a press tour, yeah. I think. Um, you know, like when you hear about, yeah, like the movie star, you, you see those interviews where all the movie star is always sitting in the same director's chair with the, the same poster behind, no matter who's interviewing him. It's like that by my phone. Yeah. And for whatever reason, we've done like six of these now, I think, through them. I feel like every single one is a day that I can't be there. So I feel bad to our friends at Penguin. That seems accurate. Yeah. You've done a couple of them. I've done a couple of them. Tana French. Tana French I did. Um, This one. Yeah, there's been a couple where it's just hilarious. Like, I can't be there. So, but regardless, I'm excited to listen. Yeah. It was a fun conversation. Um, If people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on 
Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds, and they can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, they can. Um, anything else you think people should know about? I don't think so. Cool. All right. Hopefully next time you guys hear me, I won't sound like The Walking Dead. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this fantastic episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Jill, and with me today is National Book Award winner Nathaniel Philbrick, a man who really needs no introduction, but just in case, he is the New York Times bestselling author of such books as In the Heart of the Sea, Mayflower, The Last Sand, and Valiant Ambition. His writing has appeared in Vanity Fair, The New York Times Book Review, The Wall Street Journal, The Los Angeles Times, and The Boston Globe. He's also appeared on The Today Show, The Morning Show, Dateline, and NPR. A new edition of his sailing memoir, Second Wind, is out now. Nathaniel, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, it's great to be with you. So can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Second Wind? Yeah, Second Wind tells the story of the year that changed everything for me. Uh, in 1992-93, you know, this is almost 25 years ago. I was 36 years old. I was a stay-at-home dad, had been for close to a decade. And uh, I was a freelance sailing journalist at that point, but feeling frustrated. Uh, you know, anyone who has been with kids full time knows that, uh, you know, you lose about 25 IQ points when it comes <laughs> to doing anything professional outside the household. And, uh, you know, I love being with the kids, but I, but professionally was frustrated. And part of the problem was I, I wanted to, I, I was, wanted to try a different kind of writing, but I wasn't quite sure what kind of writing. And six years before, we had moved to the island of Nantucket. Um, my wife was an attorney, and it was really her job that brought us there. I was, a, you know, an English major in college and had worked at a sailing magazine, and Moby Dick was my favorite book of all time, so I was very happy to be in the port of the Pequot. But um, And I found myself getting more and more interested in the history of the island. Nantucket was the whaling capital of the world in the 19th century. And uh, by 1992, my son was reaching the age that he was going to get to go to first grade. And this meant that I would have till 2.30 in the afternoon all to myself, uh, which was an unheard of amount of time and a real opportunity for for consecutive thought. And I got a, a book contract to write a with a small press on Nantucket to write a history of Nantucket that would become a way offshore, which uh, Penguin is now publishing. And it was the year I discovered my voice as a historian. I mean, everything I've done since really came from that year and and it was also the year that, uh, that I decided to launch a comeback as a as a sailor a competitive sailor back when I was 22 years old I won the Sunfish North American Championships <laughs> um, highlight of my sailing life and uh, but you know being a stay-at-home dad I'd let, lost complete touch with all that and even though I was on an island 30 miles out to sea I was feeling kind of landlocked uh, but that year I, you know, it's amazing. I, when I look back, I, I go, you know, what the heck was going on with me? But I had all of this pent up frustration. And I, here I was launching into this book. And I, and I realized looking back that, you know, for me, uh, writing about history is intimately involved with the water. Um, all of my books, even the one about Custer and the Little Bighorn, 
involves water. That book begins with the uh, riverboat Far West make, mm. making its way up the Yellowstone River. And um, it was, I think, inevitable that if I was going to uh, find my voice as a historian, I needed to also find my way back onto the water. And so I embarked on a comeback attempt that year, um, uh, training for the 1993 Sunfish North Americans, which were going to be sailed in Springfield, Illinois, on a lake. And so I, to train, I decided I would sail a pond a week. And Nantucket's only 14 miles long, but it's riddled with these beautiful little ponds. And so uh, using those as my training program, uh, I embarked on the comeback trail. I want to ask you a little bit about how you got into sailing, because I know you were born in Boston, but you grew up in Pittsburgh, which doesn't, I mean, other than the rivers, doesn't have really water around. No. <laughs> so how exactly well, did you yeah. get into it? <laughs> yeah, no, Pittsburgh is not the nautical center of the universe. <laughs> I mean, well, the way it worked was my mother's parents had a place on Cape Cod, and we would spend a week of every summer there. And one of my first memories I must have been two years old, I think, uh, is of uh, being uh, uh, under the deck of a beetle cat, a 12-and-a-half wooden uh, sailboat, uh, one sail, uh, that is a very uh, raced a lot on, on Cape Cod. And by the time I was 12, I was sailing solo, had learned how to sail solo, and it, and it was just, for me, it was just miraculous. I had this sense of independence. I could go out there and guide this boat uh, through the water, adjust the sail with the changes of wind. It was it was just cosmic, really. <laughs> and um, and so even though I spent most of the time landlocked in Pittsburgh, I begged my parents to to buy my younger brother and I a, a, a sunfish. And so we began sailing and then racing on a um, a uh, man-made lake about an hour outside the city. And that set me on the path and uh, as a competitive sunfish racer. And it, I was the only kid uh, in my high school doing it, uh, <laughs> but it really saved me in a way as a teenager. Uh, and, uh, it, it, and so that's how I got into it. And then you you know, had worked as an editor for Sailing World magazine as well. So this is clearly a very personal and professional passion for you. It is. And I have to say it was... At uh, working at Sailing World, uh, uh, where I really became a professional writer. Uh, for me, it was my MFA program. It was a very young staff, uh, and with each article had to had to be read and critiqued by two other editors who were remorseless. And um, and it really was where I learned, you know, how to how to take criticism, how to edit, how to. Um, you know, work on deadline. It was really good for me, uh, looking back, and it was a great education. And you know, as a historian, I, I'm I'm really uh, I'm writing narrative nonfiction, and mm -hmm. I'm telling a story. And a lot of the techniques I learned as a journalist, uh, I think, have been helpful for me in trying to tell the story of you know what it was like to be alive in the past. It was actually a good lead-in for one of my next question, which is that I read in an interview that you did um, with the Paris Review where you discussed sort of the mode you go into that you use while writing, which is trying to figure out who the people are and telling their story. This is your own memoir. So how did you go about, did you employ the same technique, just telling your own story? Yeah. Well, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. 
you know, really, I, you know, what I, what I do is I tell stories mm -hmm. and they are, I, I don't have the capacity of a novelist to make up an imaginary world. I've tried, I just don't have that capacity, but I love to tell stories and, and, and of things that actually happened. And so Second Wind is, is, is really, you know, it's a memoir, but it's a narrative of a year of, of, you know, that, that hopefully has peaks and valleys in terms of the plot and, and, and works towards an ultimate resolution. And in many ways, it mirrors the book I was writing at the time, uh, a work of history, a way offshore, which told the history of Nantucket uh, mm -hmm. from the beginnings of an English settlement and, and its native beginnings through the, the, um, whaling era that took it into, um, uh, into the well into the 19th century and and looking back i realized that the, the the getting out on the water and and that personal tale were inter, in, intimately intertwined with what i was teach, learning about writing uh history that you know the, i needed the water to get into the archives um it, and you know for me it's just the way it works and so i i looking back i realized that you know, the water was kind of the catalyst, or maybe the history writing was the catalyst for the water, but uh, they were all in it together. As I mentioned in the uh, introduction, that this is not a new book, it's it's a new edition. How did that come about? Yeah, well, this book was published in uh, initially in 1999, uh, the year before uh, in the Heart of the Sea came out, and uh, the publisher went bankrupt uh, just about the time of the publication, and so uh, ended up buying the books back, uh, and they were distributed through the small press, uh, the Mill Hill Press, that had published my first work of history, Away Offshore. And, uh, it took a number of years, but they eventually ran out of books, and the question was what to do now, and Penguin uh, had interest in coming out with a new edition, and uh, it gave me a chance to revisit this book and to write a new forward. And it's it's been fun. You know, hopefully this will uh, bring a new audience uh, to a story that is a tale from long ago <laughs> from a personal standpoint. I mean, you know, 92, 93, this was before, you know, the Internet was everything. This was before cell phones. Uh, Nantucket was a very different place. I was a very different person. And um, uh, so it's it's been a very interesting revisiting of, of uh, something of a year that was very important to me. Is there any particular things in your revisit that maybe surprised you or had changed in the past? I mean, 20 years is that's a decent chunk of time to kind of go back and reflect on this period of your life. It is, you know, and it, I hadn't read it um, really since it, it had come out. And so it was, you know, it, it, it uh, you know, I, since I had lived it, I, you know, I had memories of it, of course, but it was, and I also read the audio book and, um, uh, at a studio on Nantucket, uh, this winter. And, and it was that the combined process of, 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 you know, preparing it for the print edition, but also reading it that it brought me back so vividly. And, and I, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I was, how did I find the energy to do all of this? And, <laughs> and, you know, and I realized, yes, I guess this was a midlife crisis because I'm now 61, <laughs> enough distance from it. Uh, you know, and so part of me is like a little bit, uh, 
in awe and appalled at who I was, you know, because a lot of the stuff I did was pretty dangerous uh, looking back. And um, uh, But then another side of it of me realizes, you know, yeah, I'm basically the same person. Each uh, each book uh, uh, inspires in me a, a frenzy that is, is, you know, it may have the energy level may not quite be what it was as it was, you know, in, in 92, 93, but it's a very similar process. And, and that's what I love about my job. Each book is a totally new project. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a whole new three years of, of learning and discovery and trying to tell a story. And, um, it all started, uh, uh with a way offshore and, and the second wind year. I want to ask a little bit about the audiobook because I always think it's so interesting when writers um, read their own. What is that? I mean, what is the process of recording an audiobook like? I mean, you said you did it on Nantucket, so you didn't have to go anywhere to <laughs> to record the audio. Yeah, it's it's the miracle of you know modern communication. <laughs> uh, we have this wonderful recording studio on Nantucket, Garden Rock Studios. And uh, they have a Skype link to the producer in New York who um, is, you know, listening in throughout the whole uh, process. I'm in the studio reading into the microphone, uh, uh, reading the book on an iPad so there's no sound of papers. Mm, okay, <laughs> yeah. Things like that. And uh, started at 10 a.m. And... Uh, uh, it, it, the second wind is not a long book, so I was able to do it in, the, in about a day and a half. And I'd also read uh, Why Read Moby Dick, um, uh, another short, briefer book of mine, and another personal book of mine. And um, it's it's a challenge because you know I spent most of my days are spent in my office uh, with my dog, not talking to anybody, and so uh, uh, the the voice muscle is not what it might otherwise be and so uh just uh being careful with the voice is very important and uh uh but it's 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 a process i do with my history books when i finish a chapter i uh, print it out and bring it upstairs uh uh about the time my wife comes home from work and uh after dinner as she does the dishes i read her the chapter okay and um it's for it's really important because you know it's a totally different experience of the material than looking at the computer screen you know the act of reading is is just um you know it, it it's it, i don't know it's 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 like we're all sitting around the campfire telling stories you know it's it's a different side of your brain and um it it really brings things to life and and when i'm in the editing mode i can see things in a way that i i hadn't seen just um looking at it um, visually, you know, there is something about reading. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a process that I really enjoy. And, you know, this is a personal book, so it is in my voice. And I guess it's mm -hmm. appropriate that uh, I read it. That's a good point. Yeah, since it is so personal. Um, you mentioned your other book, uh, Why Read Moby Dick. And at the beginning, you mentioned Moby Dick is your favorite book. And um, we can't obviously not talk about it in the heart of the sea. What is it about just the story of whaling that is in general that you find so interesting that you've written about it multiple times. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I, I think it has a lot to do with where I live. You know, we moved here to Nantucket Island in, in 86 and, you know, I had, as I said earlier, was, 
you know, a Moby Dick fan. And then moving here, you're, we have the Nantucket Whaling Museum, just this incredible museum. There are all sorts of archives uh, uh, in the island within an eighth of a mile of each other. The Nantucket Town Building has town meeting records that go back to the 1660s. Uh, there is the Nantucket Historical Association has all these incredible whaling logs and other documents and letters. And uh, the Nantucket Athenaeum has the newspapers going back into the early 19th century. And so it's all there. And, um, you know, it, 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 uh, it, 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 so, it, you know, it, it gave me an into Nantucket and its whaling past that is, you know, it was just so in depth and, and also it's where I live. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, you know, it, it, the combination of it, uh, you know, it took, uh, it led me, um, uh, to the, the story of the Essex, you know, the whale ship that was rammed and sunk by a whale, the real life story that inspired the climax of Melville's Moby Dick. And so, um, yeah, it's just kind of uh, a part of who I am. And it was even a part of who I was even before I came to Nantucket, but to move here made it so personal and so direct. And um, and so every one of my books, uh, even the ones I'm writing now about the revolution, there's a bit of Melville in there um, every time. And, um, uh, you know, and there's also a bit of the sea. There's, you know, the water figures in every one of my books. So at the top, uh, at the end of every episode, um, we have what we call the nerd nine which are nine sort of light-hearted questions don't put too much thought into them um but they're always kind of fun so what is the last book you finished reading i just finished ian fleming's live and let die <laughs> james bond there good stuff oh yeah james bond, <laughs> I had ne- you know i had, i'd never read a james bond uh book and uh began with casino royale which is the first one, mm-hmm. and Live and Let Die is the second one. And I had just, you know, I was, I'd seen the movies and sort of dismissed the books as, as you know, I don't know. And then I read the first one, I'm not sure why, and they're really good, uh, really good writing. And so, um, yeah, I'm as surprised as anyone, but thank you. that's <laughs> the last book I read. <laughs> um, what book made you fall in love with reading? Wow, you know... The book that really had a big impact on me early was Johnny Tremaine. <gasps> yes, um, mm-hmm. I remember that. You know, uh, I read that in fifth grade. Oh my goodness! And then there's a great um, Walt Disney movie about it too. But the book was—it's the first time where I I began to realize that history isn't about these huge, uh, you know, heroic figures that are larger than life. History is about people just like me, like Johnny Tremaine, um, doing things, you know, ordinary people caught in extraordinary circumstances. And so that book really um, opened a lot for me. And I used to, when I was a kid, used to read a lot of, you know, uh, books about World War II and aviation and and things like that. And, it, 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 it you know, looking back, I can sort of see where it might have been, I didn't, probably realize I know I didn't realize it at the time but it it was sort of preparing me for the the direction I, I ultimately went what is your fa- uh, where is your favorite place to read my favorite place to read is my uh, office um, I have a basement office on Nantucket uh, you know and it's not 
you know, a lot of people say, oh, you live on Nantucket, you must look out on the ocean, you'd be inspired. And no, it's, I, I, I look out and see a uh, cinder block wall. <laughs> I, I really don't want distractions, but I've, I've got, uh, it's a book lined office. And any history book I'm working on, I basically, it's filled up with the books I'm, I'm uh, reading for my research, but also has a healthy dose of, of, of Melville and, and other sort of uh, sea-related books. Yeah, and it's down there. I, I spend 10 hours a day, mm-hmm. and uh, my dog Dora is usually down there for a good portion of it. And uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's mission control, I guess. <laughs> and it, it's, yeah, and it's, you know, and I, I when I read a book, um, particularly when it comes to work, I, I, I'm, I'm scribbling all over it, and uh, and it, it's it's like uh, the marginalia is very important to me when I return to the book later uh, and begin taking notes and things like that. So it's a very active process of reading. What is one place you would like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Uh, I, let's see. I, there's a lot of places. The place I really would like to go to is are the South Pacific Islands. You know, I have written about them in not only uh, in the heart of the sea, but uh, Sea of Glory. I promised my wife we were going to go on a research trip there, but it just never happened. And, you know, it's time I, I went to Hawaii, saw Fiji. You know, I, it's, it's, I've been there in my imagination uh, and, and in terms of researching, but um, I would really like to get out there and, and see it for myself. Your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, Thanksgiving for me is it's it's always on Thursday. Uh, it's a great family gathering. Um, it, you know, it's 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 the one that uh, uh, particularly when we're on Nantucket, it's it's great. You can a lot of people come to Nantucket for Thanksgiving. The our library, the Nantucket Athenaeum, has a turkey plunge for you know to raise funds where you pay money for the privilege of jumping into the harbor on, <laughs> on Thanksgiving Day, and uh, it's just great. And um, it's it's uh, primarily because it, it it maximizes the family time. Um, cats or dogs? Dog. Yeah. I've got. Uh, <laughs> This is our our third dog, Dora. She is a Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever who's just over a year old, extremely high energy, uh, but very loving and gives me, you know, one of the most important parts of my work day are are the times I'm walking Dora, Um, you know, as much as an hour and a half. And it's where I I really do the thinking, I think, that um, uh, provides clarity to the sometimes the overwhelming amount of information that I'm trying to process. Lost my list there for a minute. Where'd it go? Uh, <laughs> um, coffee or tea? Uh, I like both. Uh, morning, it's decaf coffee. I can't handle much caffeine. And uh, it wasn't that way when I was younger. Uh, and then at, at night, it's uh, chamomile tea. Your favorite food? Hmm. Uh, Nantucket Bay scallops. That sounds good. And um, who is one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to have dinner with? Hmm, Herman Melville. Uh. Has to be Herman Melville. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I could 
talk or, or you know, <laughs> meet him eye to eye, but uh, it would, yeah, uh, just to, to see the guy right. uh, would be, you know, wow, that would be very cool. Finally, what do you hope readers take away from reading Second Wind? Uh, I, you know, I hope they, they get a sense of what it is to be a, a parent and and uh, to, to juggle your own life with the needs of your kids because you really have to, you know, find that impossible balance between the two. And it's it's never pretty, <laughs> you know. It's it's it never works perfectly, but it's it's that wonderful dynamic tension that um, is is what a family having kids is all about. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Nathaniel. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.